Hello, and welcome to today's podcast. We're going to start with how are you? Three simple words, a simple question. It's commonly used as an extension of hello, but used rhetorically. Why do people bother to ask this question when they aren't ready to hear the answer? They can't actually wait for a response and then help the person based on that response. If it wasn't overused, people wouldn't be desensitised to it. And it would actually be powerful. And then we wouldn't come with default responses such as, I'm okay, I'm alright, or I'm fine. This could save lives if used correctly. So I'm going to change the question. From how are you to how am I? Let's self-reflect. So how am I feeling right now? I'm a little bit anxious. I'm doing my first podcast. and I'm going out of my comfort zone. But step one is acceptance, accepting that I'm feeling anxious, and that's okay. Step two is voicing my anxiety, something that I've just done now. And step three is riding out the anxious wave. Pushing anxiety boundaries is important for personal growth. You need to come out of your comfort zone, else your world just gets smaller and smaller. If you allow anxiety to control you, your life will just implode. As a child, I used to suck in my stomach as hard as I could till I felt pain when I felt anxious because I wanted to have any distraction from the horrible feeling. As a teen, I would withdraw. I had the confidence to move away because it's a sliding scale between anxiety and confidence, both extremes being very unhelpful. If you find the balance, whether that's being slightly anxious and being a passive person being slightly confident and being a more extroverted person. It doesn't matter where you stand, as long as you find what's right for you, your balance. People use the words cocky and egotistical to knock you back. But you need to own your confidence, own your level of confidence. Confidence is a choice. Okay, so based on this, confidence is a choice. It's something that we can choose to have and a tool we can choose to use. And from there, we can unlock so many doors. If you learn about power posing and watch TED Talks, you'll hear about confidence and how anxiety can be alleviated. And you don't have to see anxiety as the enemy, but instead as something that is just telling you things. It's telling you you're doing something amazing. It's telling you that you're doing something worth doing. Why is it making you anxious? Because you've got some weight to it. You're putting yourself out there. You're actually trying So this has been my first podcast, first podcast named How Are You? Okay, so today I'm going to speak on depression, suicidal ideation and suicide attempts. Depression's a chemical imbalance. I've got a chemical imbalance uh, with bipolar affective disorder, type 1, so I get all the good bits as well. I get to ruin my life when I spend too much money. But... It's all fun and games, it's all fun and games. Depression is a difficult one, because when you're in it, you see no way out. You think it's all you've ever felt, because it blocks your memories. It blocks your memories of past events, of when you did have joy. And it, it gives you just this like tunnel vision of everything's been terrible all my life. And you can look at you can look through rose tinted goggles, or you can look through a horrible tunnel vision. I know I've done it myself. I've tainted memories 
that should be beautiful into something that they're not. And it's hard to bring yourself out of that thought pattern when you're in it. But the earlier you catch it, the sooner it can be alleviated. If someone suffers with depression, don't be afraid to take tablets. Don't, don't give in to the stigma of you can just get over it. If you need tablets to help, that's why they're there, to help. If you need a talking therapy, go for it. I urge you to use these services because they do help. Because if you don't, you end up getting suicidal ideation. You begin planning suicide and thinking about how much easier it would be if you weren't there, how much less of a burden you'd be. You begin to think you're annoying your friends even though they want you to call them every day. They want you to be okay. But you trick yourself into thinking you're a burden. People won't put in the effort with you unless they love you. So if they're still putting in the effort with you, even if you're depressed, then they must love you to heaven and back. Suicide ideation. You can plan suicide many times, and I have throughout a lot of my younger years. But I never thought I'd get to the point of a suicide attempt. I thought that was where I drew the line. One day I crossed this line, only by taking slightly above my dose. I took 25 tablets. And... Um, since then, I've had about four or five suicide attempts. And it's hard. It's hard to come back from a place of no suicide attempts are off the table to they're on the table. They're some, they're, it's like becomes part of your toolkit for toxic behaviours, such as doing drugs and other things. Suicide attempt becomes part and parcel of it. If you're feeling intense pain and you want to get away from it, suicide could be an option. I think of there as three levels of suicide. There's situational, which is in the moment. You can be so embarrassed that you just want to kill yourself or you could be so sad that you just want to die or so angry that you just want to be off this planet. And I think it's selfish if you leave this way because you've got to ride out those emotions. They're emotions that can be dealt with. The next one I have sympathy for, which is when your personal relationships and your work and life are not going the way you want it to. This is very difficult because when one thing crumbles, it tends to all crumble. So if you lose your job, you can often lose your husband or wife or partner, or you can lose your home or you can lose... And as these things crumble down, you live, feel in a pit of despair. What, what am I going to do? So that I can understand. The third one's the world. When you start thinking about the world and how screwed up it is and how screwed up some people in power are, how charities function, you can begin to get very suicidal and think, I'm just a burden on the planet. I'm just causing extra overpopulation and using up resources. So I might as well kill myself to try and alleviate that. But don't, because if you're someone who can notice that, you can be an influencer for change. And that's what you've got to do. You've got to realise that the fact you can see all these things and they can affect you so much, you have power to channel into a better future. You have the power and you have the strength and you have the intuition and understanding and empathy to make change.
and to instigate change. And that's what I really push you to do. Turn your suicidal ideation and suicide attempts into a positive, productive motion. And maybe we'll start moving from a toxic world where humans are a disease to a world where humans are actually running the ship, but running it well. Anyway, it's been Adam TT Game. Speak soon. Okay, so today I'm going to talk about bipolar. Bipolar is something close to my heart. It's my initial condition. Bipolar affective disorder, type 1. You've got type 1 where you've experienced mania. And type 2 where you've only experienced hypomania. Um, hypomania is quite erratic. Mania is absolutely catastrophic to your life. But it's good fun while you're in it. Uh, you have some weird and wonderful times, certainly. But that's part and parcel of it. The annoying things is drugs, gambling, and all the, all the, all the nasty things that seem nice at the time. You get involved with. But bipolar disorder is difficult to live with. Um, it's difficult to manage. I've also got emotional unstable personality disorder, which I'll be speaking more on next in my next podcast. But bipolar essentially. You can be in mixed state where you're sort of in the middle, you're sort of high and you're sort of low at the same time. That's quite a confusing time. You can be in mania, which can be difficult, or you can be in depression, which can be very hard. Myself, personally, when I'm not on mood-stabilising meds, I, I just have depression and mania and not a lot in between. So I need antipsychotics to hold the mania at bay. And I need mood stabilizers to keep the depression at bay and the suicide attempts at bay. And that's just how I have to live for now. And accepting that fact that I need medication is something that I did the hard way. So I had a suicide attempt where I took over 100 tablets. I was three weeks off my medication and I'd done a lot of positive things. And then one thing sent me the wrong direction and suddenly... I was waking up in hospital in A&E with the fireman drill through my door. Not a nice story, um, not nice for anyone involved, and I'm sure the people who witnessed it will tell you it was a horrible time. But I'm moving forwards from that, and I'm learning from that, and I'm learning to call and ask for help, because that's what you need to learn to do when you have a condition like schizophrenia or bipolar or schizoaffective disorder or even emotional unstable personality disorder or other personality disorders. Just ask for help. When you feel like you're slipping, try and get someone to catch you before you completely fall on the floor and then get upset because you've hurt yourself. Because that's what it's about, taking some responsibility. And it's hard to take responsibility because you weren't you didn't choose this condition. It was thrust upon you. But you can choose where you go with it. You can choose whether you will let it dictate your life or you can choose whether your life will be dictated by it. Sorry, they were the same things. But you know, you get what I'm saying. I enjoy my manias. I hold them on a level. I like being hypomanic. Um, 
and sometimes I take lamotrigine and just sit in a mild mania. I walk marathons every day, dance around the park like a lunatic. I even had the police put me on their TikTok when I was dancing one day. That was quite funny. But it's just... Life is so beautiful when you're hypomanic and all the colours come alive and the world seems alive. And it's like... It's like how Christians say they see the world in a new light. It's like that. And I think there's something deep going on in there. I think there's something spiritual that goes on in there, but I won't get into spirituality in this one. I'll wait until I've finished my, um, my full... My full... What do we call it? Chapter? Chapter of... Um, podcasts before I start talking on God and the theory of God. Let's give it a little break. Adam TC Games signing off. Emotional unstable personality disorder, otherwise known as borderline personality disorder. My personal opinion is it means you're a dick, but it's not your fault. You treat people in ways that isn't the nicest, but it's not your fault because someone just screwed you up. It comes from childhood trauma and it's a way, it does mean you do react extremely to situations. And I suppose if you get it under control, which is probably a very hard thing to do, but possible, you could, you could do some wonderful things with it. But personally, I've just found it to be me being a dick and just blaming it on my, my disorder. I need to take some. I need to take some real consideration into how much of it I can control and how much of it I can't. I was on a medication, aripiprazole, and I gambled excessive amounts, thousands of pounds over the years. Probably twenty grand in about two years, three years, and this is the government's money, money that should be spent on good things. And I did this. Um, impulsively, and it said on the packaging, impulses, compulses can turn to impulses can turn to compulses, especially with gambling. So as an, a dabbling gambler, I became a compulsive gambler, and it became a nightmare really. And I didn't look to see if maybe my medication was the problem. So although there's no medication that can treat emotional unstable personality disorder that we've found, there are ways of coping with the behaviours that can be associated with it, such as risky sexual behaviours, gambling, drugs, drinking. You can learn to control these aspects of your life. Um, the paranoia that comes with it is because it often does, it often comes with weed smoking and paranoia, um, is very hard to deal with. I think of it as my bipolar goes up and down in motions, and I can either be high, 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 low, low, high, or low, low. And when I'm low, low, I'm suicidal. When I'm low, high, I'm, I'm pessimistic. When I'm high, low, I'm optimistic. And when I'm high, high, I'm off my rocker. And it's kind of fun, but kind of chaotic, and it's not really 
given me hope for a future in life. But I'm beginning to control and take more responsibility for my actions. And that's, that's the key, I suppose. Just because it's not your fault doesn't mean you're not the one who has to fix it. We all have to clean up after others sometimes and I'm just cleaning up something my dad left, a little mess my dad left inside my brain. But I've got to keep it under wraps. Anyway, here's a little short one for you. Okay, so today I'm going to speak briefly on body dysmorphia and bulimia. As a child, I was extraordinarily skinny and I used to see myself as pot-bellied because I had a concave chest. I used to then think I was fat and so I'd eat meals and at one point in my life I was bulimic. Um, I'd gorge myself on sweets and chocolate and then go put my fingers down my throat and throw up. I'd do this while smoking cannabis and it became quite a regular habit. Um, I didn't realise this was bulimia. I thought this was just me being a bit weird, but there's a, there's a name for everything. We love labels. We love labeling things and making sure we've got things in categories. So that's essentially what it was. I still look at myself now and I'm getting a bit of muscle, but I look at myself now and I'm, I think of myself as not that skinny, but I'm still a very slim person. Um, but when people take a picture of me and show me that how skinny I am, I understand why they're concerned for me. It's, it's interesting how you can see yourself as so different in the mirror um, from what you are. This self-harm, it works its way into all aspects of life. Like many people cut flesh and scar themselves because they don't want to have stomachs or they don't want to have thighs or they don't want to have certain arms and they'll, they'll cut themselves and they'll get themselves in pits of despair about things that other people would, lo would love about them. We wouldn't just tolerate but would actually love. Some people like their girls BBW. Don't be, don't get wrong, <laughs> don't get it twisted. It's not my cup of tea, but some people do. Like, it's, um, it's beautiful. Everybody's beautiful. They're all beautiful to certain people. And certain people have different ideas about stuff. And just because you've hung around in a crowd that put you down, doesn't mean you need to hang around with people like that anymore. Today's the first day you can Today is the first day you can try something new. I was talking with my mum and I came up with an idea that when you're on your own, live in the present. Work on yourself, work by yourself and try and better yourself. But when you're with others, reminisce or look to the future. Because if you stay in the present when you're with other people, you end up just gossiping and it's not productive. Instead, look, to, look into the past and look at some past events and go through the emotions of it, the good and the bad. Maybe you'll come to understand why you do some of the behaviours you do, whether they're self-harm, whether they're bulimia, whether they're anorexia. Why some of these things have come about, because most of it's sparked from childhood. And there's key moments that you didn't notice at the time that have led to this, led you to this place.
yeah. So just take a little, take a little time and ponder that thought. Try and be in the present by yourself, and when with others, try and look into the future or look into the past, and work out a bit more about yourself and see who you want to be when you're older, and start working towards being that person. Okay. Okay, substance misuse. Oh, this is a good one. So what substances have you tried and which substances haven't you tried? Let's answer this question. So, let's start off with the big guns. Crack, yep, tried that once, too good, never going to try it again. Heroin, well I've had opioids in my system, don't know where from, but I've had it in my system. Benzos, yep, been medically prescribed them, had hallucinations, coming off them, had hallucinations and paranoia that people were being tortured and killed. What else we got? MDMA, yep, felt love, said I love you to my sister for the first time on that one. Speed, yep, played Call of Duty, never been better. LSD, had a trip where I nearly wanted to throw up, be sick, come, and throw up, come, go to the toilet, and couldn't get released from any of them, and had to answer all the questions of the world. Also had one where the world turned into diamonds and was all crystalline. It was beautiful and we thought we found the centre of the earth. Magic mushrooms, I had a chat in my wardrobe, that was good fun. It was all good fun and games. Methadrone, I got addicted to it in one night. Thought I was going to buy loads, then they come down here and I realised how horrible a drug it is. I got passionate about how everyone should try drugs and then realised oh, that drug is dangerous, too dangerous. Get them in, I've tried a key of, not, not a kilo, just a key. Um, cannabis, of course, in many forms, blunts. Used to be the blunt man back in the day. Used to be a blunt cunt, only blunts. Used to be beautiful. And I still think low, low THC cannabis is a good thing. And I think magic mushroom microdosing is a good thing. But they've just got to come around in their own time. The thing is, you can't discourage the kids from trying cannabis too much. Else you put that bracket of cannabis in with cocaine and all the other stuff. I was heavily addicted to cocaine for about four years. And you can, if you branch them down the same tree, then if they do one, they see no problem with doing the next. You've got to keep cannabis out of the idea of, the idea of drugs because it's not the same, it's not the same level. If you do cocaine, if you do cannabis, you're two very different people. It's a very different circle of people. Um, and when they, when they, those sort of bridges are breached, it's, it causes chaos. It causes pan, pan, pan. I can't even think of the word. Anyway, so we need to desensitize ourselves to cannabis and realise that low-level cannabis is not a problem. It's only really strong skunk and spice and all those horrible things that we need to worry about. But if we legalised it and kept it regulated, it could be a good thing. We've got still got cannabis, we've still got tobacco and liquor or alcohol legalised, so what's wrong with marijuana? Give it a little chance. Maybe, just a thought.
Uh, other drugs, obviously, I've had lots of medications in my time. I've had risperidone, which sees me up like a robot. Lanzapine, which has sedated me. Uh, Haraperidol. Zoroclone. Something like that. Z1. Promethazine. Tricyclidine. I don't get why people do lean. Promethazine and codeine. Like, it's not a party drug. People doing Xanax as well, that's a benzo. It's not a party drug. Like taking diazepams for fun. If you had diazepams, if you had proper diazepams, you realise they're not for fun. Not for fun. Coming off them is not fun. Um, but anyway, I urge you to stay away from drugs until they become legal. And when they're legal, go with the wind. Do it to your heart's content. Give them a try. Just give it a dabble. Just whatever you feel comfortable with. And then go outside your comfort zone just slightly. And see if you like it. If you don't, you can go back into your comfort zone and pretend nothing ever happened. But at least you'll know then. At least you'll have a better understanding. Adam TC game out. Okay, penultimately I'm going to talk on being homeless. I was made a non-fixed abode whilst in mental health services back in 2016. I got told I wasn't allowed back to the family home due to drugs and then was put in a hostel, which is notorious for, you know it, drugs. Right, so I got moved away from people smoking weed to people smoking crack and doing heroin in the house. Brilliant, perfect. Ended up with a coke addiction and, well... We're in the wondrous place we are today. We're getting there though. Nearly come full circle. Um, being homeless, some people have just given up. They've just given up with the system. They've tried to work with the system and the system has fought against them. Or they fought against the system because they know it's wrong in certain areas. And they've stood by their morals and so they're stuck outside the system. The system doesn't doesn't care and doesn't care. The system's built to make, make people better, but it doesn't care itself. It's a system. It's not a, a living organism. So if you do things wrong, or if you feel things in wrong, or if you don't know how to do things, you're at, a, you're at a loss. And you can end up on the streets and you can end up just living for your next fix. I was NFA, I lived in a hostel. Very hard place to live. You've got lots of people with lots of problems all sewn together. Lots of paranoias. Leading to lots of subtle, catty, catty remarks or arguments or stuff like that. And it's difficult. I was traumatised when I came out of hospital because they twisted my toes. Pain, pain compliance. And... I was, but I still stood my ground against some of the people in the hospitals who thought they could take advantage of my kindness. Well, that didn't go down too well. We didn't have fisticuffs, but they realised I wasn't just a little pansy they could just push about. It's, um, it's horrible being in FA, having no place to call home. I'm hoping one day to actually have a home. I've had lots of places I've lived. I lived in 10 places in two years. 10 addresses in two years. So I don't even put them all down when I do different forms now. And they say, where did you live in the last four years? 
or five, six years. I just put the most recent and the the first one. All the middle ones I'll forget because they were just temporary. And the charities that help, they, they do help, yes, I don't disagree that. But the cut of money they get, the help is limited compared to the money they're taking. And I was living off £57 a week and I got £33 of that back after paying rent and bills. And that was my survival for food, tobacco, any other luxuries I wanted. That's, now that's meant to be how you're meant to live. I, I wasn't in a state to do much, but I managed to live off it for about four months and then it got backdated. But that's just a very hard thing. When you're first getting your money and you're leaving the hostel, leaving the hospital and you're going to a hostel system, it's very hard. Financially, it's very difficult. Um, and financially, it's very difficult when you don't have a home because all the every single benefits place wants you to have a home. They want to be able to send you letters. So I do feel for people who are NFA and are homeless. Just cut them a little bit of slack. They may be rude, they may be a bit angry, but they're just trying to get through just like everyone else, just trying to get by. So that's all we're trying to do, isn't it? Just survive. Survive for the times, the future, when it's going to be better, when it's going to be blessed. It's coming, don't worry.